back to Make More Music, the podcast that connects you to music and one another. My name's Chris. I'm a board-certified music therapist, and this is episode 54 with my friend and colleague, Jesse Ash Ortiz. Well, this is a really good one. Uh, like I said, he's my friend, so I feel like there's just a, a good connection, good conversation. It goes a little bit long, and I think if you're ready to nerd out about all kinds of random stuff, this is a good one for you. But before, like I said, before we get into that, like what's been going on with you in my world, uh, if you're around the Louisville area on November 12th, I'm going to be doing a live album with my church, uh, Sojourn Midtown. So if you're interested and you're looking for something to do, the music is going to be great. Uh, so that's fun, prepping for that. Just finished a pedal build. I did a bunch of DIY stuff recently, but mostly it's like house stuff and dad stuff. So I uh, made a workbench, so that's nice. And... Um, yeah, some other other random stuff, but you know, like I've said the past few episodes, life's been busy, uh, but very good. You know, things are trucking along, and I hope y'all are doing okay. We're super busy at work, which is good, but also crazy. So feel free, hit me up. You know where to find me, and all the stuffs in the show notes. This episode is with Jesse Ash Ortiz. So without further delay, here is my good friend on episode fifty-four make more music season three of make more music is brought to you by three great sponsors and i wanted to tell you about them real quick so i built a guitar and it is awesome i have a companion blog post in the show notes that tells you about building a parts caster from concept to creation and it tells you about the three great sponsors i got to work with first is parts caster concierge Gary offers a truly concierge experience from build constructions and consultations to unfinished bodies and wooden pedal enclosures, all the way to custom requests and fully custom builds. He offers traditional styles as well as unique one-of-a-kind DIY experiences with guitars that wouldn't traditionally have a bolt-on neck with a parts caster style build. Second is Porter Pickups. Brian and his team have been winding pickups focused on finding you the right sound and winding with a purpose. Their five-person shop offers consultation through their online pickup chooser form to help you get closer to the sounds you're looking for. They sound killer. They just launched an entry-level affordable line called the Gatekeeper, so if you're looking for something to try for the first time, look them up. Our last sponsor is Gun Street Wiring Shop, where they create wiring harnesses for your guitar needs with simple, elegant instructions to help even the first-time solderer like myself get the sound they're looking for. He's not into promoting parts, myths, mojo, and magic. He sells circuits, and their customer service is top-notch. From basic upgrades to wild enhancements, Gun Street has got what you need. As I said, all the links are in the show notes, and you'll hear me blab about it more. But if you want more, look there. All right, back to the show. wild like covid ride and i'd say you're probably like one of my best internet friends now we've never even yeah <laughs> it's crazy you know the, the covid friend thing is wild because uh you know yourself um gabby it's like it's been wild to connect with some to, to literally connect with people that like you said we haven't met and like a lot though like it's great yeah like, closer than you know even many people that i'm like around in a daily level it's like it's been good. And it's, I think Gabby posted something about that not too long ago about like finding your people that'll like back you through whatever, 
like present, like professionally. And I was like, yeah, I feel like we've got like this random crew that we never would have assembled in a, like any kind of other circumstance. Hmm. Turned yeah. out good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm grateful for it. Well, before we get into all the cool stuff you do and the technic and, you know, guitar pedals and all of our nerdy stuff, you ready to do some rapid fire? Let's do it. All right. What is the last track you played today? Whether so pull up your phone or what? Got to check. Yeah. It's almost certainly something that my daughter was listening to in the car. But uh, those are my favorites. Does that, does that, that, count? that counts? <laughs> that 100% counts. All right. All right. I've got, I've got, um, I can't even tell you what it's called because it's, it's in Russian, I believe. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> this is good. It's, it's a theme song from the show uh, called Masha and the Bear uh, about a little girl and a, and a circus bear that live in a cabin together. I've heard of that. What's yeah. it on? Uh, maybe Netflix. That's okay. YouTube. I've and heard the name not, of it, but I yeah. never have seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that. Before that, uh, I was checking. <laughs> I, I was checking out the new Esperanza Spalding album, which has been pretty deep. I'm not completely through it yet, but it's mm. uh, it's really engaging. I don't know if you're a fan of hers at all. Um, I think I've listened before, but not really. I oh. think I might have seen something like you or somebody else posted and like checked it out before, but I don't know. Major, what should what should I dive into? Where should oh, I start? It's so, I mean, her stuff is all so good. And honestly, for me, it rides this perfect line. Like, you know, how there's that sort of negative stereotype where jazz becomes too intellectual, sort of. Right. It's like jazz for jazz listeners kind of thing. Correct. Yeah. Like um, door is closed. You need to be in the club. Yeah, yeah. 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 For me, it's like right on that line where you're, you get going in, it's going to be a little avant-garde. It's going to be a little abstract, but like it really pulls you in. She's got some really groovy tracks. She's got, I mean, there, I think her last full length album had a piece of music dedicated to each part of the body. And so she does this like really sort of self-reflexive kind of music making. And it's, yeah, it's really cool stuff. A music therapist Uh, jazz album. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. Yeah. That sounds good. Um, we won't get onto other bear themed television shows. We just watch <laughs> Care Bears before bed. So. Oh, there you go. Um, if you were an instrument, what would you be? You can be as specific or as philosophical or as vague as you want to be. Yeah. So, I mean, you tell me if this is allowed or not. I think sure. I would have to say the voice. Is that an instrument? I, I can certainly say. counts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Why do you pick that, though? Uh, so, hmm. So for me, I mean, the the voice is like, it's everything, you know, it is like the most intimate instrument. It's the most powerful instrument. It's literally resonating, you know, in your body as you're using it on a physical level, emotional, right? I mean, and uh, I don't, for me personally, I've just always been really drawn to the voice. I think, so I guess if I had to be an instrument, maybe like the cello or something, because that's got like the human voice range Vocal quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, mm, I could talk. Yeah. Voice for <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Well, I just read actually, there was a pretty good music therapy textbook I found. Um, it was by somebody I did not know. Mishi 
and it was like the use of voice. Uh, Kelly Mishis? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. The use of voice in music therapy. It's like a newer textbook, and it was really good. Uh, I got to check that out. Yeah, I got it through like, that's my favorite thing to do. Like now working again at a university is like all the books and articles. (laughs) I can get them all. So uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll show you the link, but it's a good one. I think if anybody is interested in that, it's a good book. But um, you're, you're a person who I know that you're very kind of always kind of sharing the things that you do share on social media are things that address this. So what's something that's been inspiring you recently? Okay. So don't think uh, too deeply. About yeah. It. I, could, I mean, I could go a lot of directions with this. <laughs> I, I've been, uh, I feel like maybe other people have said this on your, on your podcast as well, but I've been really inspired by just sort of like mindfulness practice lately. Mm. Um, I've been listening to an audio book, um, from uh Thich Nhat Hanh, the he's a um Vietnamese monk uh who's like he's probably actually one of the I think he's probably like the most published author on mindfulness practice. Interesting. Um he's yeah, he I would say he's like the person who kind of popularized mindfulness practice like in more sort of day-to-day culture sort yeah. of. Um and he has a new book that is called something to the extent of like Zen and the art of saving the world. Hmm. And it's him tying together mindfulness practice and sort of like environmentalism and general like ecology. And it's, it's just really deep. I mean, he, he, uh, well, it's deep and very simple actually at the same time, you know, cause the I whole, like yeah, the, the mindfulness idea, right. Is being more present in your body, being more, aware of what's going on in you around you etc and so he you know in this book is kind of bringing in this idea that it's not just like it doesn't just stop at mindfulness it's also it has to move into action so to speak nice um and so that's where the sort of environmental piece comes in as he's saying you know if we are truly practicing mindfulness uh we probably will feel at dis-ease with our relationship to our world around us and what do we do about that you know Um, otherwise we're sort of being mindful that we're uncomfortable every day and just stopping at that living in incongruence basically yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) pretty much yeah yeah Yeah. so that's been i'm still trying to kind of like i mean i think i could probably spend the rest of my life trying to actually (laughs) internalize the message of the book but i'm i'm yeah feeling inspired by, by it for sure all right. Related to this or not, totally random. What's a pro tip life hack? Something that you want to evangelize the world on that they need to know. Like, oh yeah, let's you should do this. Oh man. Or try this thing. Mm. It can be job related, it can be life related. Yeah, I gotta think about that one. Um, let's see here. Life hack. You know, I don't feel like anything is easy. That's my problem. I'll tell I, you. I'll tell you my favorite example. Yeah, shoot. Somebody told me this, like I don't know, maybe three years ago. But in using mayo, on, <laughs> and then grilled cheese. Use mayo as the grilled cheese, like you spread on the outside of a grilled cheese to fry it. So good. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to. Uh, 
I don't know. I'll try it. I, I never liked mayo. It doesn't taste like mayo. It's just okay. you use it right. as the, the right. as the oil okay. instead of butter. And it cooks so easily. I always hate that part that I hate is, you know, you get butter and it's not ready to, unless you have like that spreadable butter, you cut butter to make a grilled cheese. And it's like, okay, what do I do with a square of butter? You know, like mm. smear it around. This is, it's so simple. It makes grilled cheese like take like two minutes. I, I mean, you're in and I'll, out. I'm going to have to try it. I'm going to have to try it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, just, don't use a lot. Just use enough to spread across. If you're not a mayo person, try that. So I also like mayo. So yeah. And before we get too off topic, what what's the cheese of choice for a grilled cheese? Oh, I am the least picky person. Um, my favorite like bougie cheese is Gouda, but mm. uh, I'm like I grew up a very redneck little uh, poor Kentucky kid life, so I'm used to the. <laughs> the, the cheapest whatever we could get with, throw with the velveta on there up. yeah oh yeah, yeah. velveta mm-hmm. on everything velveta nachos every day of the week okay yeah. all right there you go so all right so let's see my life hack i think i haven't truly found my life hack yet but i, I guess i'm gonna have to you're thinking too hard <laughs> i'm thinking too hard i'm gonna have to say something like um uh you know, something I've been really into, especially in the warmer months, is uh, grow some of your own uh, food. Mm. Plant some seeds. Make some plants. So what's some, a pro some... tip that for somebody who, if I was going to do that and I'd never done that before, what would you tell somebody that like, oh, don't make this mistake. Try this. Oh, okay. I mean, if we're really talking like that, the biggest, the, people overwater their plants too much. I've killed so, many a plant by yep, overwatering. Yeah, the pro tip is uh, if you really need, you know, buy one of those like globes and sticks in the plant and it waters it as mm. you need it. Go buy a pre-planted plant, like a tomato plant or something. And oh man, it's just to me, it's like it's crazy rewarding to. Do you do the you know, the finger in the soil thing? How do you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you could do that. Yeah, you could do the finger in the soil. I mean, you could start it. Like I have fun with this stuff, but like you could just put a, a pit from something you ate in a you know, in a plastic bag of a wet paper towel and see what happens. I don't know. This is what's coming to mind at the moment. Uh, no, maybe, that's good. Uh, you know. I am, I have one plant and I have two plants in my house and I am so incredibly proud of this uh, fiddle leaf fig that like we had, it's our second the one. ones that curl out, right? They're the ones that have the big like elephant leaf. Yeah, they do. They curl out. They start like that and then they, mm-hmm. yeah, come out. But yeah, so the first one we had... <laughs> Not only did I overwater it, but then when our when our youngest dog was a puppy, like it was the collateral damage of puppies and dogs running around. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it just didn't mm-hmm. stand a chance. But the second one, I was a lot more diligent about not overwatering it. I do it about once a week and it's so beautiful. It's been propagated. We had some yeah, propagated. There you I go. Like, yeah. I, I mean I that's, grow, that's I grow plants now. <laughs> that's that's a thing, right? And you probably didn't think you could until you were doing it. No, I was pretty sure I couldn't. Yeah. That's like the story of my transition into adult life with everything. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel that. I feel that like currently in my bones, yes. I don't know what I'm doing, yes. Yeah, yikes. So, um total 180 go-to junk food. 
Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to have to reference. So I was doing my own deep dig with your podcast. Good. Here's the debate. Someone said pizza. It might've been rare buzzer. Yeah. Is pizza a junk food? I think it's, it, it depends on two things. It depends a philosophically for that uh-huh. person. Does it feel like junk food to you? Oh, and also like, what is its role in your, in your like day? Because you know what I mean? Like, Oh, like I, past 10 30. It's, it's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Okay, you know, okay. it, I think mm-hmm. that role kind of makes a difference too. Yes. See, so I'm, this is my bias coming in. I'm for, you know, full disclosure, you know, but I'm, I'm like in New Jersey, just outside of New York city. Right. It's a lifestyle. Pizza, pizza is a, yeah, it, pizza <laughs> is, you know, I give my daughter pizza because it has something from most of the food groups. I right. mean, like yeah, it right. is, it's a, it is a quality food, you know? Um, I feel like so I just if, watched your accent slip like more <laughs> to New York right there. <laughs> Gotta get the pizza, you know? Um, my daughter. <laughs> my daughter. My daughter's eating the pizza. Um, yeah, if pizza's junk food, write me down for pizza. If it's not, which I would argue it's not, I'll, I'll have to say ice cream or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what ice cream? If you're you're on a crave and you're like, I gotta get this. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of simple. I I, I like a good like cookie dough. Right. Um, but if I'm like really going, you know, into the crave, and this is a music podcast. You know, right. something like fish food, uh, Cherry Garcia. Okay. Those, those Ben and Jerry's flavors. Ben and Jerry in. Yeah. Top notch. Mm-hmm. All right. There you go. Make the music connection there. I like it. it took me a second. I was like, oh, oh <laughs> Ben know. and Jerry's. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. 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 We ate a lot of Cherry Garcia simply because of the reference growing up. I Yes. I've I also don't learned. even like it. <laughs> <laughs> I've also learned this about you from my, my deep dive. You are uh, uh, I have those scars. <laughs> honorary deadhead, I guess, is what you'd call it. Yikes. Honorary, how many hits of acid are in my body? <laughs> Who knows? Just the DNA, though. It's not not personal. Just it just DNA. explains when I start, like, you know, watching the floor tiles move. <laughs> you know, too much. Yeah. Uh, lastly, somebody, person, project, or an organization, somebody you want to give a shout out just that they're doing cool stuff. Yeah. Um, I would definitely give a shout out to get their name right. I believe they're called In Our Hearts NYC. Okay. Um, they are. It also might be called New World In Our Hearts NYC, but they're essentially a community um, collective that facilitates other organizations in sort of like mutual aid action. Mm. Um, like for example, I don't know if you heard about this in the past year, cause I think it really sort of came to light as a need during, um, uh, a lot of the pandemic, but the right. community fridges, have you, are you familiar with community fridges at all? I get the idea. Um, we have like a uh, community grocery stores and stuff around here. Sure. Yeah. So a community fridge is sort of, I mean, it's what it sounds like, but essentially they're, is at this point about, I think 150 of them throughout New York city. And they're, I, they, they have something that they put on the fridge, which I think sums it up nicely. Let me see if I could find it. Really yeah. Quick. I got it pulled up here. 
Um, take what you need, leave what you don't. There, maybe. there you go. Yeah. Take, take what you need, leave some for others. Right. And it's this, uh, it's, they try and keep them regularly stocked with donations from, uh, local farms, from companies that are getting rid of stuff. I mean, you can go down it's there. It's like those little library, uh, like those little like book library things, but fridges. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Which I mean, you know, if, if people want to talk about reading is fundamental and, clearly a, you know, an, an educational right, which I believe it is. I mean, food is like <laughs> a little bit more, a little bit more, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, I think they're pretty awesome. You and you can't just, eat a book if you really need to though. Eh, listen, <laughs> comes to shove, you know, but <laughs> it might take a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. they're, yeah, I would absolutely give a shout out to them and just generally, I think to anyone else who's been like doing good mutual aid work during I like that a lot. couple of years. Yeah. So, um, we tossed around a lot of different things. I was like, man, our, our conversation could go like a hundred different fork in the roads. And definitely, I just wanted to start with, can you walk me through a little bit about what it means to you to do, uh, and I don't even know what term you use, psychiatric or mental health music there. What do you, what do you call like your facility or your, you know, how you conceptualize the work that you do? Sure, sure. Because we've not well, had anybody work with a population like yours so far, yeah. full time yeah. on the podcast. I think you know several people have had experience with it, but this okay. is your your thing. Well, you know, I, I think I'm still wrapping my head around it being my thing, as you put it. But like, I, it, it's funny because you know, as you talk about explaining what it means to me, and then you were saying, "What do you call it?" Even it makes me immediately think about sort of the discrepancy that I think still exists between what it's called and what I call it. If sure. that makes any sense. Um, because I think my ID says something like behavioral health services on it. Yeah. Uh, thankfully it says creative arts therapists. Right. But yeah. Uh, I certainly don't consider myself as I'm working with behavior. Right. I, I consider it that I'm working with, people first of all <laughs> yeah, and, yeah yeah um people just you know dealing with mental health uh you could use the term mental illness if they if they felt comfortable to i prefer mental health just in the sense of it being a spectrum that you know we are all on and that is sort of whom i'm working with is really the spectrum of people who are dealing with like chronic you know mental health issues like schizophrenia for example to like someone who is just coming out of a real tough like life crisis and mm -hmm. needs a little bit of extra support at that moment, you know? Um, so yeah, definitely. I consider, you know, myself as working in mental health as a music therapist. Um, how do I conceptualize it beyond that? I could definitely talk about that. Yeah. Do you have any well, questions so far? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Before I jump the gun too much, I almost, I mean, I'm totally like out of practice. So let's go back. Yeah. I almost skipped right past your whole life. So take me back to your first musical memories and like, what kind of, do you remember about growing up and, you know, the first things you remember about hearing, hearing music, what caught your attention and then growing up, what did learning instruments and stuff look like for you? Mm -hmm. so it's funny i think i'm having like a having my own therapy moment right now 
because uh, <laughs> thank you. don't you. even have to build for uh, it. So. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, because I was thinking about the answers I gave to all these other questions leading into this, and frankly, when I think about the way that I grew up with music, a lot of what I associate is uh, music as a sort of social, like a socio-political sort of action thing. Yeah. Um, my my parents when I was growing up were um, very involved in sort of like social justice work and we would go to this thing that was called like the Clearwater Festival I'm not sure if you're familiar with it from being down there um, like the Clearwater Jazz Festival in Florida no no oh, so, okay. so yeah yeah we're uh, we're at uh, other side up here okay i was like i know that but i have no idea where this is going or how this ties in okay so so check this out it's a cool story i guess um do you know pete seeger yes Mm -hmm. folk singer yeah yeah yeah. pete seeger the folk singer um you know he was kind of following in the steps of woody guthrie in terms of yeah yeah just writing all of this like social justice kind of social action music stayed on the stayed on that train instead of veering off like Bob Dylan. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And there was this thing called the Clearwater Folk Festival, which essentially was a music festival that Pete Seeger started um, to help facilitate the cleaning of the Hudson river because the Hudson Uh, river up here had gotten to the point that like you literally couldn't eat fish from it. That was like Um, late sixties, early seventies and stuff. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's, and it's just gone until, uh, the festival goes until now, right? So I, w- I would go to stuff like that a lot with my parents and kind of like mixed in with the music was people talking about the significance of the song and like the real folk tradition, you know, yeah. kind of the storytelling yeah. as, as important as the music. Um, and then eventually kind of coming into my own thing with it, I took, well, I was always singing in choir in school and took some piano lessons didn't was that really... even a, a like like a choice, or was that just kind of like you just remember doing that? As no, with a I mean, I'm sure there was a choice at some point, but you just remember being a kid that liked singing. And I remember being a kid that loved singing, and I even got sort of—I don't want to say made fun of for it, but uh, I was I was noted as the kid who couldn't stand still while he was singing. Uh, everyone's up there on the risers kind of singing in the concert and I'm kind of like moving and grooving the whole time I'm singing, you know? <laughs> nice. Um, so I think I, I don't remember if it was a choice or not, but I know I always loved singing for sure. It just felt really good. Um, so I guess flash forward, maybe around like nine or so, I took piano lessons for a couple years and got into it but also i think i didn't have like the work ethic at the time as a nine-year-old to you know really do that um and so then you know kind of coming out of some of the tradition from my parents i guess and the music that they got me into which we can talk about more but uh i think around maybe 13 or so i was like oh the guitar seems like sort of a natural extension of the voice. Like I can, I can yeah. play something while I'm singing and look really cool doing it. And you were talking about Dylan. Like, I'm like, this guy looks cool, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Um, Very impressionable age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it was like that on one side and, and Hendrix on the other side. And yeah. I was like, oh, the guitar is where it's at, you know. Um, it was like catching fire for me. Like, yeah. and those, some of those people, yeah, I like latched onto so hard. Like, mm -hmm. like that, like gotta learn all of that. So yeah, I know for sure. Yeah, exactly. Right. So then, I mean, coming out of my, my parents tradition and I mean, if I were to go even further back, my grand, my grandmother's a choral conductor. So, Ooh. you know, it's kind of in the family, but there was definitely the teen, you know, it's, I'm not into your music anymore. I'm into yeah. my music and, uh, the hero's journey. The hero's journey. I left home <laughs> with nothing but a guitar um, and playing open mics, you know, playing with some hardcore bands, which was absolutely not what I was wanting to do, but I wanted to make music with people. So, but it was early 2000s and I was making music. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, uh, and eventually found my people in terms of making the music I wanted to make, but it was definitely, uh, a journey yeah so at what point did you decide like i've got to do this like for real for my life uh was there ever a decision for that or did you kind of stumble into music school or what did that look like you mean music or music therapy kind of either or mm -hmm. so well i had a couple couple instances one was Unfortunately, in my high school, they had us do this thing where you could like only pursue one creative track. Like you could either sure. take more art classes or take more music classes. And I always really loved doing both. Um, and my art teacher was very disappointed in me, but uh, I ended up pursuing the music classes over the art classes. And I think that was like my first, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this, you know? I'm, yeah. This is what it makes me feel something. Right. This is what's important to me. Um, and then I, I think I didn't know how important it was going to be, but I went to high school with someone named Shauna, uh, Shauna Bernacy, who snaps to Shauna because she's still oh. a music I did therapist. a presentation with her at a, a couple of years ago at MTA. I was part of that palliative care thing. She put there you up. go. Yeah. There you go. So that's yeah. cool. I didn't know. You that. know what? So Shauna is the reason I'm a music therapist. I mean, crazy. She crazy. went to school for music therapy and she was probably a year or two older than I was. And uh, she totally put it on my radar and sold me, you know, and she was like, come. I mean, even to the point where when I was auditioning for school, she was like, come by my school, you know, sit in on a class, like, check it so out. Cool. Yeah, I was, I was in, you know, that's, I think it's crazy. It, even now, even still teaching undergrad students now, it's still crazy to me that like some of these kids find out about this stuff in high school. And I was one of them too, but it was just like knowing most of my colleague friends, it just seems more that people transfer in or second career, mm -hmm. or even just get a music undergrad, then get a, like, it's still crazy to me how many people find it like that early. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, you're, you're right about that, you know, and 
retrospectively, and I'm, I'm sure that you've had this conversation, but like, I didn't actually know what music therapy was at all. No, had no, I had no real idea. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I knew that for me, music was very therapeutic. Right. I knew that it was, you know, uh, I would even say, um, I would even say it was the thing that allowed me to find my sort of self identity and, and kind sure. of claim it, you know, and I, what I do like, every well, day with teens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You know? And so I'm like, if this did this for me, you know, I gotta, gotta get other people hooked into this, you know, right. and that's all I knew. And, uh, then yeah, just kind of followed the thread from there. So, um, Let's kind of fast forward a little bit and go on through college and all of that. So you've, have you always stayed in the area? Cause I know in New York, it's a total like ecosystem. Like you don't have to leave. Like there is a music therapy, like bubble of stuff going on up there, but That's have you moved true. around much at all? I did. I left. Um, there you go. I'm here. Yeah. Now we're back to the heroes. I truly yeah. left. Yes. Um, I knew that I need, and I mean, honestly, like I'm, you know, I love Joseph Campbell. Um, the hero's journey is legit. I, I said, I need to get away, you know, I need to go away. Right. And I went to Philly. I went to temple for my undergrad. Mm. And, uh, I had no idea, but it was like, honestly, the best decision I could have made. First of all, in terms of like the people who like the friends and such that I connected with and met and like some of whom are just, you know, my closest friends to this day, um, being in a new city, being like out of my element, so to speak. And um, I had no idea because again, like, you know, as a student, you, you know, nothing about like what what does the field mean even yeah uh, that i would be like i i got to work with just some of the i guess the best folks out there like some of the coolest music therapists out there right um past present and future you know there are people like uh you know give another shout out but um mike uh michael viega was a doctoral student while i was doing my undergrad and so he was teaching some courses as part of, I guess, his doctoral, um, you know, studies. Um, and now he's kind of, he's one know, of the guys, he's yeah. one of the dudes. He's doing his thing. I yeah. mean, he's, he's really doing, you know, fantastic work. And so I could go on, I could, I don't want to name drop, but like, I will say that it was essential. The folks who I got to hook up with there. And right. I'm grateful for that. That's easily, I think, uh, the weirdest thing about the undergrad, even, I mean, honestly, like coming into music therapy, there's no informed consumer really of like, I'm going to this place because of these people. I don't know anyone who has done that when it's usually like high schooler thinking, Oh, it's the end state schooler. Oh, I liked that place. Or, Oh, uh, my friends are going there. And I think it's one of those things that it's like, it's actually like more the, one of the most influential things you can do. And it, I think it's funny because I mean, like it works out how it's supposed to work out, but it's still it just very crazy too, though, at the same time, like that is so important. And I wish I could tell all the high schoolers. 
You know what? I could I could get into some some pretty uh, sort of deep stories if you if you will, but I I guess that's what we're here for. I reckon. <laughs> well, you know, you know. Suffice to say, I I went through some pretty uh, kind of like heavy personal experiences during my time in college. I mean, sure. Um, my parents separated. I had the first breakup of like a long-term relationship yeah. and there was something about being in sort of a new place sort of on on my own so to speak it's really good. while going yeah. through all of that that you know you sort of feel like not to be like overly metaphoric here but you're being like sort of rebirthed into the world because you're just doing it like it, it doesn't life doesn't stop and you're like oh my god all of this everything just shifted and yet here I am, you know, doing this. <laughs> and you're in this, uh, psychodynamic process of school anyways, where you're like, I am literally living an archetype right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. wild stuff. Um, and I'm sure a lot of that has really, you know, stuck with me. I mean, there's a lot of ways I'm aware it's stuck with me, but yeah, uh, it's all been valuable. Mm hmm. So, so obviously you've made a couple of different moves and you've been in this position and now you said you're even like kind of overseeing, you know, a small team or what does that look like now? Just yeah. Like, yeah. So, so, um, how many is in your crew? Well, I guess if, you know, it's kind of make a very long story short, right. Then, uh, I was, like you said, did did the uh, ba um, masters rather right. that was working then with kids on the spectrum for a while, and then found my way into doing mental health work, right? And yeah, now it's at this point where I am somehow supervising other music <laughs> therapists, <laughs> uh, you know, and I never thought I would be doing that. Um, yeah, feel you. Hey music makers, I want to briefly interrupt this chat to let you know about a small business that I think you're going to love. A lot of you all have hopped on the DIY wagon with me, so I think you should know that Thompson Guitar and Thrift is the small business source for high quality and affordable guitar parts. They're musician owned and operated because they're a husband and wife team and they're committed to keeping prices low while maintaining the highest degree of quality. But what does that actually mean? It means that they have the best value parts from pickups to switches that you can modify, custom build, and upgrade any of your guitars, basses, and other things with. They offer free USA shipping, and when you combine that with their low prices, you get a sense of why ThompsonGuitarAndThrift.com is the best hidden secret in guitar parts. And because they're a small business, customer service is a top priority. You'll deal directly with JT and Courtney, and you won't get lost in the shuffle. So check out ThompsonGuitarAndThrift.com today for your guitar part needs. All right, back to the chat. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you do you do that, right? You're teaching, right? So you're working with... That and mostly interns like day in and day out. But yeah. um, I'm teaching improv again next semester. And yeah, it's just one of those things that it's like, I don't know. I thought at one point in my life, I thought I was going to pursue the PhD route in a very like 
climb the ladder kind of way. And when I decided not to do that, it actually ended up being the best possible thing. Because now I feel like when I'm interacting with students and interns, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, I feel like I can't be like air quote normal, but it's just like one of those things that anytime somebody does something or says something or talks about music therapy, it's like, they're always like, what is your opinion? I'm like, you're really going to ask? It's always complicated every single time, but it's like somehow I ended up here and I feel like all I do is let my rebellious 12 year old spirit lead the way. And (laughs) somehow I'm here. I don't know. Well, you know what? I mean, to that point, I, I think I also was interested in doing PhD for a while. Currently I'm, I'm not interested in it, but, um, it's still, you know, it might be something I head back to, but like in terms of working with students, it feels like, like you were kind of alluding to, like there's no status that I'm like holding over them. I, it makes it so much more real. yeah, Yeah. Right. And I think honestly, like as the clinician, I'm like, that I tell myself, like, I'm, I think of myself as a clinician, right? And right. I know that I have that experience to lend and provide. And to me, I'm like, if I'm pulling from my day to day experience, you know, I, I don't want to say who cares that I can't like cite the research or whatever, but like, isn't that, you know, just as valuable, right? Yeah, it's like, um, you know, you're the one literally in like the trenches of it. And it's like, yo, like, I mean, you could talk about the theoretical aspect of it, but this is what happened in group this week. <laughs> <You know what laughs> right, I mean? right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's nice. I'm glad that I can kind of, you know, be in that role at this time. It's been good. I find that to be, I think my, one of my biggest professional concerns. And I know we were, we decided we were not going to touch the hot irons too much, but I think my biggest uh, one of my biggest professional concerns is people in roles with not enough or very detached clinical uh, kind of mindsets. And I think that's the problem, like you were saying, is w- right now the, the, the greatest like status for a music therapist is like teaching at like mm-hmm. doctoral level. But it's like, I know a lot of doctoral people who are doing it because a, they like didn't like clinical work or, you know, what, whatever they got tired of it or they couldn't do it anymore. And it's like, that's actually like not good (laughs) to be like the person, like that's like in some ways that's like unqualified to be teaching like the students, (sighs) like setting them up for failure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. We don't I have mean, to stay on that long, but for some no. <laughs> reason, that needed, that needed to get on my chest. It, it conveys a message, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I certainly don't want to ever be teaching because I was burnt out with doing the work, you know. Um, that doesn't feel quite right. Um, yeah, yeah. I... I I don't know if that's a music therapy issue or like just a large, a larger kind of academia issue even, but like it's right. No, that's also true too. Yeah. Um, Like for sure. Yeah. But no, but you're right about, you know, it being a thing that is current. Um, 
you know, one of the things that I'm like really grateful for, uh, in terms of like current opportunities that's, that's come up for me is, um, I'm going to be contributing a chapter to like a case studies book that's supposed to be coming out, Sick. which, yeah, again, I'm like, how did I get here? What am I doing? <laughs> why am I, why am I the one <laughs> typing these words? Yeah. 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 What are words? Um, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, so true. No, but, I mean, like, let's just to even unpack that. Right. I'm like, I'm not an academic. I don't use words the way that I'm supposed to in a book, right? Um, But the fact of the matter is like the folks who are putting this book together are two two music therapists I know, um, Noah Noah Potvin and uh, Kate Myers Kaufman, who, you know, they're both in academia, but they're both still so connected to sort of the day-to-day practice just through i mean through even things like this through trying to you know reach out and and hear kind of about the daily practice and so um i definitely think that is where it's at i think that like kind of information in general or i guess a better word would be knowledge in general you know needs some sort of re-evaluating in terms of where we place the value you know right Right, right, right. Well, to take some hard turns. Yeah, shoot. Um, we, I definitely wanted to hit on this for a while because we we haven't like, I feel like we've been doing this stuff for a while now with the Technook and you and I are only like sort of involved. We are not like these people doing all the work like Gabby and a few other people doing like some real heavy lifting. But um, that's how we met and... I just thought it would be cool if we could riff on that. So like, what's your take on, you know, how you got involved with the Technook, what you've been doing with it and kind of how, why people should look into it, kind of give your spiel of the mm-hmm. Technook kind of stuff from your angle. Well, I mean, first off, like you said, in terms of who was doing the heavy lifting, like again, just shout out to, you know, to Gabby Benzon and she's just like, I don't know how she considers herself, but she, I mean, she also published this like songwriter's manual. Um, you know, she, she's one of those people. Yeah, <laughs> one of those people. No, uh, she's one of those people who has an idea and does it right. And so like yeah. this Technook thing coming together was really like her idea and then uh, brought all these people into it. And I think it's been just so cool to watch it unfold because uh my understanding of it is that it is sort of the intersection of people who just enjoy using tech in their creative practice personally right and people who are trying to you know bridge it into their music therapy practice and um you know i think that's really special because uh because these are i guess i would say like again, I, maybe we're going back to the theme actually, but it's, it's not necessarily based in research. It's based in people who are doing it. Uh, like maybe like since they were kids growing up doing Mm -hmm. music, you know, DJing, whatever. And like now just bringing that to their clinical practice, like us with the guitar pedals. Right. Exactly. Uh, And like ahead of that, I think that's the other thing too, ahead of that academic curve, because that pace is so slow that it's like 
yo, kids or kids or people in therapy or whoever need things that move faster than you can publish things. Uh, therapists need to know, even just have ideas of things that they could do uh, faster than you know you all can create curriculum around Mm -hmm. um and i think it's like one of those solutions that's like in a perfect world i think technic wouldn't even exist uh but it exists to solve that problem of like everybody needs more tech literacy when it comes to music therapy stuff and you know, I think some of the biggest consumers of the Technook have been us, a part of it, like looking at other people's stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think you're 100% nail. Well, you know, you and me are both angsty about that academic kind of thing anyways. But <laughs> No, but you know, I, I think like you mentioned, like about the speed at which it moves and um you know, I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with who like identify as producing music, right? And yeah, things like that. And it's something they're doing on their whatever. Honestly, yeah. they have access to on phone, laptop, you know, tablet, whatever. Um, and, you know, even though clearly we should be kind of going into the room with that sort of open mindset to kind of get, you know, get into their worldview. It's also not their job to kind of teach us, right. When we show up um, how to do this stuff. So it's like, we should, we should kind of get on it enough that uh, if we go into a room and someone says like, I want to, you know, produce like a, a whatever trap piece, like we first of all know what that means. We know like, how to just work with drum loops, like whatever it might be, DAWs, et cetera. Right. Um, and yeah, none of that is in really any like formalized curriculum to my knowledge. So <laughs> I know you feel pretty similarly to me, but I feel like uh, you and I both have those personalities where we know kind of a little bit about a lot of things. And like, I, I my brain is kind of like a scrambled egg board <laughs> of, of Jeopardy. It's so it's like, it's not just all these musical things. It's all these things about like personal experiences and different types of culture. And it's like, it's one of those things that I think there are so many people that don't even feel it's like, to me, it feels like a compulsion. Like I have to know, Mm. I have to be able to like not feel smart or even competent, but like there's like a, uh, a like, little like party host inside of me that wants to be able to just have a conversation with somebody about whatever. And it always kind of boggles my mind when people, there are some people like, Oh, I'm just cool. Not knowing how to do that. I'm like, but what if you walk <laughs> in a room and such a thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, the, the, like the, I'm getting to my therapeutic needs now, Yeah, I guess. Yeah. 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 I need it. That's things I need to unpack in a session. Well, you know, my philosophy behind it has always kind of been, um, kind of what you're saying, right? Know enough that you can walk into any room and acknowledge that you don't know anything. Yeah. Culturally uh, humble. Yeah. Yep. You know, I don't know anything and yet I am not clueless to what you're talking about and I right. want to know more. Right. Right. Uh, 
So like, please, you know, let's, I'm curious, like, let's dive further into this world together that I do want to know more about, you know, Um, because that's, I think that's very opposite than saying like, yeah, I don't need to know that. If someone asks, that's just not what I do. I've taken a training on X and then, you know, the equivalent of mansplaining of that. (laughs) That's actually the worst. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's the flip side of the coin is, uh, I, I took, you know, uh, whatever one Oh one and, uh, yeah, I don't need anything else now. I'm set, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yikes. So what, (laughs) what has been, all right. So I'll kind of break it down for people. So, what people might not know behind all the scenes of the Technic stuff is, uh, Jesse, you've done some stuff with using apps and kind of some music making uh, different like tech things that people can do with like those easy hands-on things like Koala. Mm-hmm. And then we've done a boot camp. That was another like thing that it's like, I don't feel confident enough to do this, but we did the audio engineering little like intro and then we also did what's become one of my huge passion projects is like evangelizing music therapists to guitar pedals. <laughs> uh, and basically we kind of sat down and looked at all of our spaceship pedal boards together and we're like, okay, what do we do with this in therapy? So like what, what's kind of been your process of what have you learned from doing things like that and, and trying to think about clinical applications. Cause you said part of that was stuff you're writing, I think for the book chapter or a presentation or something. Uh, so just walk me through. I know that I said not a actual question, but whatever that got your brain going, go there. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I guess I'll just sort of preface in saying part of the big challenge of my current situation in terms of the clinical work is I'm in, I'm working in the inpatient setting, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, the, there are a lot of rules and protocols around safety that prohibit me using really like cables, um, using a lot of things that would sort of be considered, you know, unsafe Right. In one form or another. Like most things associated with a guitar. uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, So, so I'm still kind of thinking about, you know, ways to work through that. I've, there's actually a guy who I was talking to who was able to create a studio off of the unit and is able to like take uh, folks who meet the criteria. Like safety criteria stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's over and like kind of give them studio time, which is, you know, really cool. Um, and we already do stuff like that. Like we take, we take patients currently off the unit to get some fresh air, to use a gym space. So it's like, right. Why not give precedent. access to yeah, precedent? Yeah. Yeah. Why not give them access to something like that? You know, that type of creative space. Um, but, you know, I, I think beyond that, I have definitely found that having, like you said, the mobile apps and things like that, it can be really cool, first of all, for getting into like more immediate music making, but using digital technology, like using samplers, using uh, digital instruments and like adding them into a mix with acoustic instruments that we might be playing live. Um, Excuse me. And also just 
like I think giving folks that I'm working with a sense of ways that they can keep doing stuff at outside of, you know, the hospital setting too. So I'm like, Oh, you found this really, you know, um, like this, this is not exactly music making, but I'm like, Oh, you found this meditation, uh, very, you know, rewarding today, whatever it might be. Here are a number of apps that I use at home that I actually, you know, legitimately use for meditation at home. Um, and kind of trying to help them to kind of, uh, just cue into those resources that they might already have access to. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I'm, I know we're talking to, you know, is it okay if I ask you questions? (laughs) There's no rules. Cool. All right. I think, I feel like you've had more access to using guitar pedals, which, you know, is kind of a mutual passion project between us. And I'm curious what what are your experiences been like with that? Well, so to kind of piggyback off of your thought for one is I totally get it because it, from being in the hospital before and, you know, we also had different um, mental health wings and things like that. Uh, I totally get like even just being in the hospital and the going room to room, like it would be not feasible to take that kind of stuff. I would have to build a very specific rig and also power and amplification and all these kind of things that like make that difficult. So honestly, the biggest uh, thing that changed for me is working at the clinic. I kind of was able to finally, you know, a, a couple of years ago, probably, probably close to three or four years ago. Now I was really diving into a lot of reading about, community music therapy, resource-oriented music therapy, and really going, holy crap, this is changing my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is it. This is what I had been thinking about for a long time. Um, And it really started to tie knots together about, you know, it's like all my schooling, all my teachers were very behavioral. Uh, A lot of my work, and I did a lot of, you know, and then I did NMT training, but then a lot of my work, I started working with some coworkers that none of them were Nordoff Robbins trained, but had taken a lot of Nordoff Robbins like classes. And so I started paying to take Alan's thing at at conference and, you know, doing some of those and I'm realizing that I'm improvising constantly. So Mm -hmm. all of that basically leading me then down the road of like, whoa, community music therapy. I already called myself like eclectic before that. But once I found out about that, I was like, this is it. This ties all the knots. It ties that sociological perspective that I was getting through my master's because I took a bunch of family counseling classes in my master's and they used a sociology approach called the life course theory. So that kind of like always was my main lens. So long story short, I walk into the clinic situation. I'm like, I get to do community music therapy all the time. Like I just have to figure out how to take what it was, which was a not thriving program and do whatever I want. It's just got to make enough money that it makes everybody happy and um, I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. So immediately I was like, I want to do, we did a pilot project with a, my intern actually wanted to do a pilot project with this group foster home. And I already been, had been a foster parent for multiple years. So I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And 
right then I was like, we were doing the traditional music therapy group thing. I was like, this is cool. And it still was great. But I was like, these kids, some of them are super musical. And some of them just want to play guitar. And there's a couple of them that I think you get where I'm coming from because you come from the side of music therapy that is not so scared of counter-transference. But where I grew up and went to school, it was like, transference, no, negative. It's like... (laughs) You mean being a human and yeah, having yeah, thoughts? Really. So, well, I'm sitting there thinking about my childhood being um, tumultuous at times and seeing some of the reasons that some of these kids were in foster care. And I was like, man, I already had this thought, you know, going through foster care training. But I was like, I was like a phone call away from being some of these kids at some points. Like I was like, there was the kind of stuff that kids leave home. And it also makes me wary of like, I know that's my story. And I know some of my friends stories and things like that. I was like, I think these kind of issues are very common. And it's, uh, there's that disparity issue of like, why is this happening to certain populations more than other populations when like bad stuff happens to everyone? So, so again, tangent, but so I noticed that, you know, there's like a 13 year old who's like playing guitar and super obsessed with classic rock and all that. I was like, man, it's like this kid needs a band because if I was 13 and like this, which I'm, it's like, I see a lot of myself in this kid. I was like, he needs to be able to like channel this more than ask me five questions at the end of music therapy group was basically Mm -hmm. what I thought. So, I mean, literally I'm like one day I just do a session and bring my pedal board. I'm like, Hey, plug into this. And I just watch him. Like, it's like, let him drink from the fire hose. I'm like, you like Nirvana? We're turning on vibrato. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. play that Nirvana riff right now. You like this. And so for me, the using of pedals in therapy and even electric guitar, honestly, to me was like, I had always as a guitar player is my primary I had always kind of uh, worked hard with interns. It was something we focused on in our previous place a lot. I had a great supervisor who was really good at um, mentoring interns. And we all as a team really focused on helping interns, whether they had one of those, you know, voice, piano, percussion, um, guitar as their primary, you know, if they played cello or if they played what, even in the hospital, we were encouraging, how can you get your primary instrument? How can you use you? How can you be musically authentic? And right. And so for me, I realized I was like, you know, I talk about this kind of stuff and I do use guitar very intentionally, but it's almost always acoustic guitar. And I was like, it's like electric guitar is really me. Like when I thought about it, I was like, I like, how, how can I connect more with that? Um, and so for me, it was, it was that it was finding ways. Now I was like, well, we have an amp and stuff here. How about I just plug it up and set it ready to go so that in the room, when I feel like it should happen, I'm plugging into, even though it's a, a Squire Strat mini and a $5 practice amp, or a five watt practice amp, even that to me is like, and now that we have a drum set, I was like, it needs to be that. Cause it's gotta be loud enough. Mm-hmm. And 
for that. So that's one way. Um, even with older adults, what was really fun is I was just like in the rut of like, uh, kind of doing this over and over. I took my amp, I took a looper. That was it. Amp and looper. And I just did, um, songs doing a, a rhythm loop, boom, 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 doing basically the same session I was going to do, but just adding loops in live looping, performancing and stuff. And, uh, just like, wow, this was really great. And just watching how I could create energy in the space. I could help with ambiance in the space. You know, I had like, I always like to arc my older adult sessions, like arc them up and then arc them back down. I yeah, mean, I tried course. to do that generally, sure. but I mean, for, uh, those, like the last things I did like a loop and I'm just playing along like beautiful things to a loop in there. And I was like, this is way better than me just like finger picking. Mm. like some song like mm-hmm. it's like it's country roads on steroids right now <laughs> so <laughs> like that uh that's another way and then then i through us talking more i was like how can i get more experimental so i've been taking like uh and not for just novelty sake but just to like you know how can i be on the eye for for opportunities and we had uh, one really cool one is I have a kid with selective mutism and we've really been the only therapy that's been air quote helpful from per mom. Uh, and one of the things I did is I plugged a little uh, XLR to quarter inch on a microphone and plugged it in and let him make weird sounds with his mouth through the pedal board. And yeah. just like things like that, like, you know, like how do I create like a little spot of whimsy for, and another thing I've been doing, the last thing I'll say is, so the band we've, we started a band at the, at the group foster home. So Mm -hmm. like, that's something that I'm using, you know, regularly, um, there and, uh, teaching, I think it coincides with, you know, teaching some of the kids like, okay, we recorded this song. Here's how you record this song. Showing them like, here's what I'm doing when I'm mixing this song. And I'm showing them the process of like, you know, I'm showing them how to do things in Soundtrap or GarageBand and they're mm-hmm. working on projects. And that was really sweet to me. One little like capstone to that is <clears throat> there was this one kid who discharged, which means he went to a foster home usually a good thing right Mm -hmm. so there's mixed emotions but usually that's a win and sweetest thing on soundtrap like a week ago i get a message that says sup to a song that he had shared with us in your so me and another boy that's in the foster home through our you know i have the clinic has our own soundtrap account and he sends us all a little message he's like check out this beat i made but i was like I'm just crying at lunch right now. Mm. This is so awesome. But just like, you know, these, it's like a weird, you know, uh, you know, like, uh, like they all love that song, that lost boy, the Ruth B because like, there is really that camaraderie of like, a lot of them feel that, you know, I'm a lost boy. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just those Peter Pan lost boy kids. And I think that aspect of like, Hey, I'm out here. I'm still out here. Cause you know, normally the feeling is they're gone. 
I'll never yeah. see him again, yeah. or I'll see him next week. You know, it's one or the other. So that's cool. And I've been, that's my most recent thing is like, I did an electric guitar boot camp uh, to kind of, I was like, okay, well, I've been doing these guitar boot camps. Let's, uh, let's teach some music therapists like that really want to dig in. I walked them through like how to not be scared of an electric guitar, basically. Mm. And each week, part of what we did was, so I was teaching them different techniques and ways to think about the electric guitar. And every week I said, all right, week one, I'm going to show you what is overdrive. Mm-hmm. And I showed him like, okay, here's overdrive, here's distortion, and here's buzz. And then the last week I tied it all together with audio engineering. And I was like, and you know, we've talked about all these things and I told you that they're kind of expensive. You can find cheap ones, but all these things are in GarageBand. And I showed you them in a pedal first because now when you go into GarageBand and you go to look for it, it's not going to, you're, like, you're going to know what you're looking for or can figure it out now. Yeah. Um, so that's been fun too to like, just try and give people the bug of like we said before, just trying things and just uh, because I was like, if they try things and they feel like that, they're going to do that with their clients too. So Mm. they're like, just to me, I've gotten less and less air quote goal directed and more like my role in their life is not to be another goal directed thing. It's like my life is like, creating musical whimsy for people so yeah yeah um you know so, and I, yeah. as i was you listening stop to me you, please no 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 Go I, was just, I was gonna say as i was listening to you talk about it i mean there were so many cool examples i like i'm really i'm like digging listening to all those examples from you but um first of all one thing i was gonna say back to the story about the guy sending his uh soundtrack thing to everybody you know wrecked <laughs> so cool um and you were talking about you know like work trying to work in that like community music therapy model and that's just to me like it just really drives it home that he left the setting right. so to speak and then was still like hey i'm checking in with y'all i'm doing all right and i'm doing music and this and is this is me still yeah 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 Oh, that meant so much of like, I'm just so happy he flew the nest. I mean, not only was he like, I'm doing all right, but he's like, I'm doing all right in music. I mean, that's, it, you couldn't it was ask huge. for a more, yeah. you know. We don't normally get those bows on stories. So. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, and then, you know, the other thing I was thinking is, as you were talking about, is you were talking about sort of coming out of various models and like the Nordoff Robbins and like, you know, as, as you know, like that's part of my background too, is, right. is Nordoff Robbins work. And there's this idea of improvising and getting so quickly to the, like, how do we get to the music? Because that's where it happens in the musical interaction. And just hearing you talk, I was thinking about, you know, part of what it sounds like you're focusing on is also making the things that people might initially think of as barriers as just additional tools to music making. Right. So like, Pedals don't have to be a barrier. They can open up more musical possibilities, right, right, et cetera. Um, Because I think that's that's part of the issue is that people shy away from it if they don't get it, right? Or they don't, it seems like it's like going to keep the music from happening, but realistically it opens up to so much more, you know? Yeah. And I think that's my only, well, not my only, my, one of my rebuffs to the Nordoff Robbins model is like, there's a lot of non-musical things that 
are very special in that aspect of like, I do make music generally the biggest partner in the room, but I, I try to be really mindful of that triangle of like Mm -hmm. music. I don't like client as a word, but music, the other person making music and myself Mm -hmm. to where it's like, you know, sometimes we can do things that, that like mute, it's not going to hurt music's feelings. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, that's a, that is a huge plus of them being a great co-therapist is like, you know, they're not concerned, but yeah. uh, I also come from the stance, like my, my, it's funny because I guess there's this association with the Nordoff Robbins work of like, you have to be this great musician or whatever. Sure. Um, But really, I definitely think that's a stereotype. I can confirm that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not true. Um, You know, one of my big takeaways, like from that, and maybe it's just me, but I view, I genuinely view everything as musical, right? So if we're just doing verbal processing, if we're just joking around, if we're like kind of just sharing the space together in silence, like all of that is kind of music to me. And I think that probably we have the, uh, the, the purview, I guess, I don't know what the right word is to interpret things that way, right. To interpret just interactions as musical, because that's kind of how we understand things, I guess. Yeah, no, I think that's also why you're good at what you do. I like how you summarize that. Thanks. Uh, well, I mean, what's been, what to kind of, kind of wrap up the whole technic thing. I mean, for me, you and me both were like floored of like, what Chase Bliss wants to like help us do this. <sighs> and, but so what have been some kind of takeaways and what would you point people to? Uh, and what's this thing that you're working on too, that you're talking about? Uh, you were asking us questions about pedal stuff presentation or is it that book thing or what is it? Oh, geez. I don't know. What was I talking about? That's you texted us and asked us, asked myself and yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's actually, you know, um, uh, Dr. Viega, Mike, Mike Viega is going to, have me jump into one of his classes to do um, uh, some some kind of intro to pedal work and looping and right. tech and music therapy kind of stuff. So I was yeah I was tapping the the hive mind the hive mind because <laughs> like I said you know I mean my mind kind of goes wild with it but sometimes my in my current place and time my hands on application is more limited than I might like it to be you know. Um, but what was the initial question? <laughs> what what would you point people towards technique wise? Yeah. And what's been some things about it that like have just been cool experiences or you know, what what do you just wax on it about Yeah, it? yeah. Well, I mean I I would like you said, like we've all kind of turned to it ourselves, I think, with a lot of interest. Like I know I've delved into certain sections of it to learn things like Ableton and like just learn aspects of music production that I really like, it was new to me, you know? So I think like, as again, the hive mind, the collective, it's, it's so cool that it's all out there. Um, I'm also, as you've probably already gathered all about free uh, information, you know, non-restrict, non-restrictive access to information. And I think that's one of the coolest things about the tech nook too. Agreed. Um, and 
you know, I, my feeling with it is like, it's all people doing it and they're all available. And I think that like, you know, if you're just trying, like you said, you're kicking around an idea of like, I, w- I wish I could be doing more of this kind of in my clinical practice or whatever, it feels like that's the place to just, you know, hit someone up and, and ask. at least start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least start. So I think it's all, it's all been really cool. And I'm like, I'm looking forward to where, to see where it goes. You know, I think it's also like just sort of a forum now that's been put into existence and I'm kind of excited to see what it grows into in that sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. In terms of like the cool experiences, I mean, you mentioned the Chase Bliss thing, you know, if I have to nerd out for a second, Please which do. is probably what this entire time has been, but to you know, it to <laughs> the the thing that's so cool about the tech nook is like that merger of the things that we do kind of nerd out on as musicians and like clinical practice, and right. the fact that I'll just say it in my opinion, Chase Bliss, you know, are kind of like the coolest pedal makers out there. The fact yes. that they were like, yeah, you know. Uh, we absolutely support the idea of y'all using these as like therapeutic tools and instruments. And we will even, uh, you know, help you guys explore that, send some pedals your way, yeah. whatever. Um, there's a lot of validation. I think. Oh my too, gosh. Of like, yeah. Wow. Like, Hey, this is cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, it is cool. It, and, uh, I think it's also cool community music therapy wise. It is. Of like, because I think there are, I think music therapists miss a lot of opportunities to engage the greater music community in what we do because even just being busy, right? Like we wouldn't have even thought to do this if it wasn't like constructed in this way. So I just think of how many times we leave people out, not even sometimes being gatekeepers, but sometimes Mm -hmm. just out of, you know, busyness and, well, you know, what's interesting is like, if you think about sort of the directionality of it, like we've been talking a lot about how as music therapists, we should be aware of sort of what is happening in the world of music yeah. so that we can integrate, you know, sort of th- that tech and whatever into our practice. But like, as you're talking about it, I'm like, wait, what if the people making the tech also like had music therapy on their radar, right? What if people were right. like, designing products that had greater just like accessibility for people with various think about that like like, that like skoog thing like what if chase bliss made an awesome version of something like the skoog yeah wait wait what is this i i know maybe what you're talking about you've you've definitely received an email about it at some point because they like got like you know the mta email list or whatever but uh, it's a little, it's a cool device. It's just a random guy made it. And it's like, it's meant to be like sensory rich. Mm. And it's like this ball that makes a bunch of different music. But it, I think they marketed it for like kids with, uh, two, four music therapists to use for kids with different special needs, especially like autism. Mm. Um, and I just think like it, I mean, it's, it's kind of gimmicky, but it is like, it is cool. It does serve a purpose. But I was like, man, if Joel and Chase Bliss made something though, mm-hmm. that thing mm-hmm. would blow everyone's mind. Blow everyone's mind. <laughs> and it I would mean, be sold out. There'd be a limited edition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 7,000 pedals would be gone tomorrow. Guilty. I hear that. Um, you know what it makes me think of is like, uh, 
another kind of total niche piece of gear, but the OP one, uh, right, right. It's Mm. this little pocket synthesizer. And I don't know if you know this, but one of the things you can do is you can set the top um, table. Yes. You can set right parameters to, uh, essentially respond to your movement. Right. I mean, if I think about the idea of like integrating something like that into the clinical room, that the music is going to be generated based on someone's movement or whatever. I'm like, yeah. But like not a gimmick. Yeah. That's the Mm -hmm. biggest problem is I think most of those kind of things always feel like gimmicks. Mm, Good Uh, point. Yeah. Especially the kind of things that are like at conference, you know, that you like go see a booth about. You're like, yeah, this app feels kind of like it does one thing, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know? So it would be cool to have like somebody's mind that creates something that's like, it would be hard because it would ride the line of like, uh, it would have to be, you know, I think of like the Zoya, for example, the Zoya, I've had it for a couple of months now and it's still so intimidating Mm -hmm. in a good way because it's like endless, but that would be the problem. It's either gimmicky or intimidating. Yeah. There's like a, a very narrow. Well, I guess that's where the that's where the techno comes in, right? We're trying to right. uh, gonna make some content. Yeah, yeah, trying to help people get into that, right? Oh gosh. Well, I feel like we could stay here all night, but oh, is there gosh. any last topics we should we should round this thing out with? You know, anything you want to get off your chest? Anything I want to get off my chest? <laughs> well, I'm uh, sure there's lots, but anything you want to record? <laughs> now that you mention it, um, <laughs> Chris. No, I. Um, uh, <laughs> you know what? I will just say this. I I I don't know who necessarily listens to uh, to make more music. Um, I listen to make more music. Uh, Hundred of people listen. Okay, I think that i like i said i was doing my back my my backlogging doing the research i was listening to um piang the vocal oh, pai Yang. Yeah, pai Yang. yeah thank you sorry she's she's in your area she is and like now i want to go take lessons with her i i mean i you know i was doing the the the, the listen and you definitely need to go follow her email list at least oh my gosh and She's I just was cool. thinking how much I wanted to essentially, yeah, how much I wanted to just have conversations with all these people. And so I guess I just kind of want to like put it out there as, uh, as a music therapist on, you know, on this forum, like that. Yeah. I, I love talking about this stuff and I think that I, you know, have my own way of looking at it and everyone else has their own way of looking at it. So I'll, mm. I am a music therapist, you know? Right. Um, but That's it. Yeah, I'm always glad to, I just always want to talk more about this stuff. So like, you know, whomever let's talk about it. Well, by some small miracle, two dads stayed up and awake for an hour and 20 minutes, uh, <laughs> post bedtime. But, uh, lastly, the moment you've been waiting for, what would you say? Why would you encourage people to make more music? Oh, well, it's essential, man. It's essential. I literally cannot imagine my life without music. Right. And I, yeah, I, we were talking about education and food earlier. I think expression 
is a human right. I think music is a human right. I think it feels phenomenal uh, and is just such an access to like one's own Nordif Robbins, here we go, music child, one's own, you know, just sense of health and being in, in the world. Yeah. So make more music and and don't judge it. That's mm. something I'm working on, you know. That's hard, but it's mm-hmm. good. Good. And Got thank it. you, man. Thank you for this has been really cool. Well, it's been a long time <laughs> coming. We've both wanted to do this for a while. So uh I appreciate you for all the things, but even just for tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if anyone is still listening, thank you for being here. <laughs> um, you can always, uh, Jesse's stuff will be in the uh, contact in the show notes. And I guess that's for Jesse and for me, it's give more grace, share more love, make more music. Yes, sir. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, if you enjoyed and want to learn more about the guests, their info is in the show notes as well as how you can support the show. And the best way is to leave a rating and review and tell a friend. Anything else, if you want to make a donation, buy some merch, uh, follow us on Instagram, get in touch with me. You can all do that through the links in the show notes. But until next time, give more grace, share more love, and make more music.